You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events to get free and periodic updates to this program and our other interesting programs. Be sure to enter your email address in the subscribe to WHTT box on the right side of our website, WHTT.org. And now, ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHTT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about a subject I think is very interesting, and we're going to entitle this, Are Christians to be Fans or Followers of Jesus? And so it's, I think, uh, worth looking into, and we're going to have Chuck talk about it, what prompted us to come up with an idea like this, one of the pastors at Chuck's church gave a sermon about this very same issue, and we're going to attach this to the end of our little discussion here so that you can listen and make up your mind yourself. And so I guess we need to start out, Chuck, by telling us what's the difference between a fan and a follower. We, we certainly notice that the evangelical Christians, for the most part, are fans of our serial wars. They seem to be very super patriotic and love and support America's serial wars, and as opposed to being followers. Chuck? Well, this is a short sermon by one Scott Rice, who happened to be preaching at a church that I was in, and made this very memorable little 20-minute sermon, which we enclosed. Scott, an unpaid guest pastor at a Colorado mainline church, begins this lesson by defining how fans of Jesus act. He claims that following Jesus is a lifetime pursuit and requires sacrifice and is not simply the acceptance of a free gift from him. His message may offend some, but he backs it up with words that we think are Jesus' words. Scott began with a warning by Jesus himself to those listening. He said, quote, whoever will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whomever would save his life will lose it, and whoever shall lose his life for my sake and for the evangel shall save it, end quote. This is from King James edition. We Hold These Truths says that we are in a life and death battle for peace. With most of the dead on the other side, because the U.S. military oligarchy is the strongest ever. So we're on the winning side, we would be told at least. Many times more deadly than the brutal Roman legion are they. No kingdom can match us. But we also have a powerful enemy from within whom we attempt to uncover and define in our work that we hold these truths. The better we understand our enemy, the easier it is to think about our mission. But Jesus asked in this message, well given by Pastor Rice, what are we willing to sacrifice? Putting sacrifice into the perspective of Jesus' time should be easy if we consider that the Romans were no more brutal to the followers of Christ than the Israelis today are to the Palestinians. And actually, they're doing an insane patch of real estate. Those who do not know this fact of the Holy Land, then and now, need to read 
about Palestine independence on the whtt.org website. And then we hold these truths quest for peace. We can't expect to be heard without having resistance and at a very real cost. We like to feel that our course is one that Jesus would take. Some of us think he walks with us today. But no matter how we view it, our mission is going to have a very real cost from a very real enemy who does not intend to lose. We have to be prepared to pay the cost. Fortunately, it is unlikely that any of us will be crucified for contending that the war in the Middle East must stop and that our government must cease supporting these wars all over the world. That includes the suppression of the Palestinians. I recommend you listen to Pastor Rice's 20-minute sermon on what it is to be a follower and not simply a fan of Jesus waving our risk-free affirmation from a bleacher seat. I'm grateful that our cost will probably be limited to time and money that we do not earn because we have given up our time. Unfortunately, we may lose a friend who turns out not to be a great soulmate after all. Jesus' words make clear that there is a reward for his followers, and this is what Scott Rice is trying to tell us. Do others have a comment on Scott's speech or your own feeling about the sacrifice that it takes to do our work? Yeah, Chuck, that's really good to be a follower or a fan. My daily Bible reading had me in the uh, book of Numbers, and I thought, oh, boy, num- Numbers. I'll just get bogged down in that, but I'm, I'll, I'll be faithful, and I'll read it. And I was just kind of m- mumbling as I, I started reading it. And I was in Numbers chapter 6. It's where they talk about the Nazarite vow, where a person would take the Nazarite vow and would be totally committed to God and wouldn't cut his hair, wouldn't eat grapes or drink wine and so forth and so on. And then it says, Numbers 6, verse 6, All the days that he separates himself to the Lord, he shall not go near a dead body, nor even for his father or for his mother or for his brother or sister, if they die, shall he make himself unclean, because his separation to God is on his head. All the days of his separation, he is holy to the Lord. And Jesus kind of chimes in on that in Matthew chapter 10, when he says, and a person's enemies will be those in his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And I'd never made that connection before because I always thought that sounded kind of harsh when, for Jesus' word saying, well, if you love your father or mother more than me, that's wrong. But in the context of the Nazarite, if you're totally, wholly committed to the Lord, he is the primary focus in your life. He is the number one. And anything that we would lift up in, in place of or alongside of God, we're making into an idol. And I really saw that because Matthew was written to the Jewish audience, so they would understand that uh, Nazarite vow thing. And so if we're truly to be followers of Christ, we've got to be willing to take the heat. And like Jesus said, sometimes the person's enemies will be those in your own household. And he says, uh, the world hates you because it hated me first. So there's a cost to pay for being a follower of Christ. To be a fan, you can just live your life just the way you want. 
attend a nice big church and kind of walk in anonymity. You walk in, you walk out, you smile, you shake hands, and you feel good about yourself, but you really, you're just a fan of Christ. I'm reminded of the thought that fans can be very fickle. So if their favorite team, for example, is not doing so well, they may switch sides, whereas followers are actively supporting and doing the will of the Lord, as you described there. Anybody else? One comment I would make is that it kind of negates the rapture where people, what is it, the premillennial, where they're taken up so they don't go through the tribulation. They certainly ignore all the ones who were fed to the lions and, and burned into stake. The martyrs that came before us to defend right. Christianity. Yes, that's a that's a good thought, Travis. The number one bestseller at Christian bookstores uh, sure isn't Fox's Book of Martyrs. That one's not getting a lot of press these days. Wow. Well, thank you, Chuck, for uh, bringing this to our attention. And ladies and gentlemen, we hope you will reflect upon this sermon by Scott Rice. Much of uh, what I'm going to be doing this morning, I'm taking from the book, Not a Fan. How many of you have ever heard of the book or read the book? A a really great follow-up to this lesson, a great next steps would be for you to get a copy of this and read it and, and apply it. To your life, we're going to be talking a little bit this morning about uh, what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus and what does it mean to be a fan of Jesus. So let me let me start out by asking you a question: Are you a follower of Jesus? <laughs> well, that's okay. It's good for you to think about it because I that's what I want. I want you to really think about your answer to that question before you answer it. Are you a follower of Jesus? Okay. Now, I, I, I want to clarify some things here. This is, this is not what I'm asking. Okay. Do you go to church? Do you go to church three times a week? Do you attend a life group? Uh, are, you, are your parents Christians? Are your grandparents Christians? Are you directly descended from Alexander Campbell? Um, did you did you raise your hand at the end of a sermon one time? Did you pray a prayer, repeat a prayer after a preacher? Did you go forward, uh, you know, during a twelve-minute version of "Just as I Am"? <laughs> did you get baptized? Do you own three or more Bibles? Can, can you uh, quote? Can you list all the books of the Bible in order? Can you do it in a single breath? Some of you after church, I know you're going to come up to me and you're going to do it. I know you are. Have you ever appeared in a church directory? Uh, did you ever, uh, you, did you grow up going to vacation Bible school or to Bible class or church camp? Is your ringtone a worship song? Do you have a Christian fish bumper sticker on the back of your car? No, I'm not asking about any of those things. Here's the point. Many of us, you know, we're quick to say, yeah, sure, I'm a follower of Jesus. But we don't really understand what we're saying. You know, it's kind of like, you know, Inigo Montoya in The Princess Bride. He said, I do not think that means what you think it means. And, uh, and so we have to evaluate the question and, and really think, 
and pray about this and ask ourselves, are you a follower of Jesus or are you just a fan of Jesus? Jesus says, okay, today it is time for us to have the DTR talk. DTR. It stands for define the relationship. Define the relationship. Are you a fan or are you a follower? Jesus wants to know how we feel about Him. Is your relationship with Jesus exclusive? Or is He in competition with a bunch of others for your attention and for your affection? Is the relationship just you know kind of a casual weekend thing? Or has it moved past that? How would your relationship with Jesus be defined? What exactly is your level of commitment? As people who claim to be Christ followers, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the game? Or are we just a bunch of spectators sitting up in the sidelines doing the wave with all sorts of opinions about Jesus? Anybody can sit up in the stands and say, Hooray for Jesus! Jesus is Lord! Go God! Anybody can do that. But if you know what it really means to call this man who went to a cross and died on a cross your Lord, then you've got to get down on the field and be a player or your virtual Bibles on your tablets or smartphones or whatever you got, will also be uh, uh, projecting the Scriptures up on the screen. But uh, Mark chapter 8, verse 34 is where, uh, where we're going to start. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. I think Jesus has a lot of fans these days. Lots of fans. Fans who who cheer for Him when things go well, but who just kind of bail out when it becomes a difficult season. Fans who sit safely on the sidelines, in the stands, cheering, but they know nothing of the sacrifice and the pain of the field. Fans of Jesus who know all about Him. They know all the stats. But they don't know Him. You know what? Jesus was never interested in having fans. That's not what He's interested in. When He defines what kind of relationship He wants, enthusiastic admirer is not an option. Many of our churches in America, they have gone from being sanctuaries to become stadiums. Stadiums, and every week all the fans, they they come into the stadium and they cheer for Jesus, 
but they have no interest in truly following him. The biggest threat to this church, to our church today, is fans who call themselves Christians, but they aren't actually interested in following Jesus. They want to be close enough to Jesus to get all the bennies, all the benefits, but not so close that it requires anything from them. Not so close that it interferes with their life. And so what we are looking at this morning is going to make us think about what discipleship means for you, what following Jesus means for you and for me if Jesus' Messiahship means death on a cross. You don't understand what following Jesus means, folks, without a cross. To follow Jesus is not to desire to be a ruler, to desire to be a boss, but instead to be a slave. To follow Jesus is to not want to conquer the world with a sword, but with a basin of water and a towel. To to serve the world and even to die to the world and for the world. And so maybe a better question would be, have you been crucified? with Christ. Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, he must do what? Deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Repeat after me, church. Come and die. That is the slogan of the Christ follower. And it certainly grabs your attention, doesn't it? Maybe not so great of a marketing slogan. Yeah. Hate, hate, your, hate your own life. Come and die. And brothers and sisters, for us, those words, they may be the, the most important words in the entire gospel. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, die to himself, take up his cross, and follow me. That is the kind of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. The first thing I want you to notice in in these words that we have here on the screen is that they are in the present tense. Okay? In other words, following Jesus is not something that you just do once. You know, you don't, don't say, well, I made the decision a long time ago to be a follower of Jesus. No, following Jesus, denying yourself, taking up your cross. See, folks, those are lifestyle decisions. They're lifestyle decisions. You do them every day. In, in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus says, you take up your cross daily. Ours is a daily death. Notice also that Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples, and he said, if anyone would come after me. In other words, we're not talking here about rules for a certain select group of super-Christians called disciples. You know, it's not, well, you know, here's the deal. I'll just be a normal Christian, (laughs) a normal Christian, and I'll just be a part of this little group, and we'll just kind of hang out, and we'll go to church, and we'll, we'll sing some great songs, and we'll talk and hang out a little bit, and we'll always have in this church a, a select group of super disciples. 
Jesus said, no, if anybody is going to come after me, if anybody is going to come after me, he's going to deny himself, take up his cross and follow me, period. There is no exception. There are no exceptions to this rule, folks. You either live this way or you're not a disciple. And a lot of us don't want to live this way. I mean, can we just be honest? A lot of us don't want to live this way. We want to be pretty church instead of real church. A thin facade of Christianity that will make us comfortable, make us respectable, but never uncomfortable. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Shake your heads this way. No, it does not. A number of years ago, there was a book that came out which attempted to sum up the condition of middle-class evangelical Christianity in America. The book was called Easy Believism. Easy Believism. The book argues that most people who, who go to church today, they want an easy believism. They want a Christianity that is not demanding that is not costly, but instead is warm and fuzzy and socially acceptable and most of all, entertaining. Is that what it means to follow Jesus? Shake your heads this way. No, no, I don't think so. Y'all heard of Dietrich Bonhoeffer? In Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book, The Cost of Discipleship, he said that the problem with the churches in Germany during World War II was that they had become infected with a deadly disease called cheap grace. Cheap grace. Let's read from his book. He says, cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. In other words, without requiring any kind of life change. Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ living and incarnate. It is under the influence of this kind of grace that the world has been made Christian. The Christian life comes to mean nothing more than living in the world and as the world. And the upshot of it all is that my only duty as a Christian is to leave the world for an hour or so on Sunday morning and go to church to be assured that all my sins are forgiven. I need no longer try to follow Christ because cheap grace, the bitterest foe of discipleship, which true discipleship must loathe and detest, has freed me from that. Cheap grace. So is that what it means to follow Jesus? You know, did Jesus come from heaven to earth and live and die so that people would come together to be religious for an hour or two on Sunday morning? I don't think so, and I don't believe that you think so either. So when Jesus says, follow me, what is he talking about? Be like him. And we're going to learn specifically here what that means. Two things. Number one, deny yourself. Deny yourself. You know, I think, folks, that the most blunt expression, or one of the most blunt expressions I've ever seen of our culture was on a bumper sticker I saw that said, now we will get along just fine as soon as you realize that I'm God. 
We'll get along just fine just as soon as you realize that I'm God. And most people, of course, they don't put it that bluntly, but folks, they live exactly that way. They live exactly like that. The world revolves around me. I live for my personal happiness, and if you want to get along with me, then you are going to see things my way. And then Jesus comes along. And Jesus says, no, you give up on being king of your little universe. And you deny that you are in charge of your life. You even deny that you own yourself. I mean, isn't that what Paul said? Paul said, we are not our own. We have been bought with a price. We're talking here about the the denial of a lifestyle, and we're saying that Christ, not self, is at the center of life. And life is lived for Him and not for you. It is not about you. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Deny yourself, and then secondly, take up your cross. Take up your cross. We talk about crosses today like they are burdens. It's my burden. You know, well, my mother is very ill and she's come to live with us. And so I guess that's my cross to bear. Or, you know, I've got this real bad back and I've had to put up with it. And I suppose that's just my cross to bear. You know, and and folks, I, I don't mean to belittle those kinds of things, but we have pagan neighbors who have burdens But when we talk about taking up a cross, we're not talking about just taking up the burdens of life. We're saying you make specific, deliberate choices to give up, to sacrifice, to lose for the sake of Jesus. And those decisions, they are not understood and they are not respected by the world because the world would never do them. Notice that Jesus says, you take up your cross. Jesus had to take up his cross. And maybe the idea here is that every follower, every disciple of Jesus has a cross specifically designed by God. You know, and your cross may not be my cross, but God has something for you to carry for him. God has something for you to carry for Him. He has a ministry. He has an area of service. He has an area of sacrifice, an area of loss, an area of suffering for you. And following Jesus demands that you do it. Ask yourself something, church. Ask yourself, am I really carrying a cross if there is no suffering and no sacrifice? When is the last time that following Jesus cost me something? When is the last time that it cost you a relationship? When is the last time following Jesus cost you a promotion? When was the last time following Jesus caused you to skip a meal? When was the last time it cost you a vacation? When was the last time you were mocked and ridiculed for your faith? Has it cost you anything? Has it cost you anything? And and, you know, someone might ask, why would anybody choose that? Why would anyone choose that? Why would anyone want to live that way? I'm so glad you asked. 
Glad you asked. Let me give you three reasons. Why become a disciple? Three reasons. Number one is quality of life. Quality of life. Let's look at verse 35 again in Mark chapter 8. Jesus says, whoever wants to save his life will do what? Lose it. Loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now, this has some obvious eternal implications, right? But it also has a lot to say about your quality of life and my quality of life here in the present, in the here and now. See, there are two attitudes, two attitudes about life that are possible. Jesus's view is in direct conflict with the view that surrounds us in the world. The view that surrounds us says it is more blessed to receive. The world says it is more blessed to get. In fact, if I could get a little bit more, I could be a little happier. And if I could get everything I want, I could be really happy because it's more blessed to receive. And then Jesus comes along and he says, no, no, you got it wrong. It is more blessed to give. And what you and I have got to decide this morning is who's right? Who's right? Jesus says, if you hoard your life, you will waste it. If you invest your life, if you pour out your life, you will enjoy it. You will experience the abundant life that I promised you. He says, the way to really find out what life's about, the way to truly be fulfilled, the way to truly be happy is to use your life for Him and for others. And not to spend it revolving around yourself. There's this little poem that says, Some men die by shrapnel. Some men die by flames. But most men die inch by inch playing silly little games. You know, and I I just hear Jesus saying, if you spend your life that way, playing stupid little games, hoarding and collecting and living your selfish little life, then you will never understand what real living truly is. You know, and so, so ironic as it may be, as paradoxical as it may be, one reason you want to be a disciple, a true follower, and lose your life is so that you will find what real life is all about. A second reason to be a disciple is the reality of eternity. The reality of eternity. Look at verse 36. Because... What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? You know, we come along and we look at that verse, and we want it to be both and rather than either or. Jesus says, now you're going to have to make a choice. It is either me or the world. And and we want Jesus to say, how can a, a person, you know, keep the whole world and keep his soul? You know, we we spend a lot of time trying to make that work. I mean, we want it all. But Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. 
Friend, what good will it do you to gain everything that you clamor for in this world and in the end lose your soul? I mean, I really want you to think that one through. We're disciples because of the reality of eternity. A third reason to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus, is the finality of judgment. The finality of judgment. Look at verse 37, Mark chapter 8. Jesus says, What can a man give in exchange for his soul? You have one lifetime, folks. You have one lifetime to decide whether or not you are going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. And once you've spent your whole life, you cannot buy it back. All your money will not another minute buy. What can you give in exchange for your soul? Now, most people, most people are going to say that it's reasonable to live your life anxious for yourself. Most people will say it's reasonable to live your life looking out for number one. It's reasonable to live your life not wanting to be scorned or mocked or ridiculed or questioned by others. But folks, this this passage says, Jesus says, our destiny is not going to be determined by public opinion. Our destiny is going to be determined by Jesus. Because, verse 38 If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. And so, brothers and sisters, Jesus never came along and promised us that he would make us comfortable. If we're going to be disciples, we understand that our life is not our own anymore belongs to him and and Jesus he did promise us glory and so we follow him and wherever he takes us we will go wherever Jesus takes us we will go as we uh, wrap up this morning here are a couple things I want you to take home about discipleship first of all discipleship demands faith Discipleship demands faith. By that I mean your view of what it means to follow Jesus is directly related to your view of Jesus, your convictions about who Jesus is. The heart of real discipleship is a commitment to be like Jesus, the crucified God. So discipleship demands faith, and then secondly, discipleship demands death. What is our slogan? Come and die. Come and die. Discipleship demands death. I think the best line in Bonhoeffer's book is this one. Whoops, I didn't put it in there. That would have been a good thing for me to do. But the best line in Bonhoeffer's book is this one. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. When Christ calls somebody, he calls them to come and die. The Apostle Paul, he puts it this way. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me.
Have you been crucified with Christ? I think that's why the very first thing you do to launch your new walk with Jesus is you get yourself buried in that watery grave of baptism, right? You're buried in that watery grave, and it's an an expression of what your new life in Jesus is going to be all about. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, it will take you to a grave. You will die to yourself. You will die daily. But hear me also say, it will take you out of a grave too. It'll take you out of a grave. If we determine to die to ourselves, to die with Christ, God will go about the business of raising us up. Raising us up and making us really, truly live. So now, are we following Jesus? Or are we just fans? Are we just a bunch of spectators watching the game? Let's pray. Father, help us pay the price to go where Jesus would have us go, to follow where Jesus leads us. And Father, I pray that there are folks here today who will make the decision to be crucified with Christ, to be baptized into his death and burial and resurrection. And God, help us to fight the deadly disease of cheap grace in our lives. Help us to walk with Jesus all the way to the cross where he died. We prayed in his name and all the church said, Amen. Thanks for listening. If you like this program, please let your friends know about it and our other thought-provoking podcast. And be sure to visit our website, whtt.org, for a wealth of information on Christian Zionism and other critical issues that we face. Also at whtt.org, you can watch for free our award-winning documentary film, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Join us in our efforts to wake the town and tell the people. Start small, think big, and press on towards the straight gate.